Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Misshelved Pride. I'm your host, Nicole Brinkley, and yes, though we are on hiatus between season one and two, I couldn't help but throw my plans to get ahead out the window in favor of a couple special Pride episodes. After all, this month is for me and for so many other incredible booksellers I know, including today's bookseller, Shulo Khan. Hi, my name is Shul Khan. I am a full-time bookseller at Books or Magic in Brooklyn, New York. Like in all misshelved episodes, our independent bookseller Shulokana is sitting down in conversation with an author near and dear to her heart, the incredible Nevo. My name's Nevo, and I wrote The Chosen and the Beautiful. Listen to these two swap queer book recommendations in honor of Pride Month and do a deep dive into what world building works for them. I think that's my favorite part of being a bookseller is forcing the books I like on any customer who asks and petting the dogs. We get so many dogs. Oh, that sounds like a great experience. You guys are like the best part of being a bartender without getting alcohol spread all over you. <laughs> I'd say so. So I actually had a couple of things I guess I wanted to ask about, but let me just dive right into it. Oh I loved the Empress of Salt and Fortune. Oh, I'm so glad. The holiday season was rough and a coworker came up to me and handed me a copy of Empress and said, I was like, I'm just about to pack it for a customer, but I wanted you to take a look at it because I know you love fantasy and queer fantasy. That looks like it slaps. Let me make a note. I <laughs> acquired it. I read it in a day. I bullied like my coworker, my roommate. It's my staff pick of this month. I'm like, I'm so obsessed with it. And I read The Chosen and the Beautiful and it's, it's beautiful. I think The Empress of Salt and Fortune, I read it and it was difficult for me to describe how I felt after I finished it, but I, I, I teared up a little bit. My coworker who read it with me, she fully cried. So just so you know, I really, really love your work. And I'm so excited for The Chosen the Beautiful to like launch. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. It launched at the very beginning of the national lockdown, or Empress mm-hmm. did. And it was just, uh, I'm like, so what's going to happen now? No one knows. Mm-hmm. So just sort of sending it into the void, like a little piece of myself. I'm like, good luck, kiddo. Have a good time out there. It's a terrible <laughs> world. Have a good time. That's actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about is this is your first novella, right? The Empress of Salt and Fortune. And it is. Yeah, and it came out March 24th, right as we went into lockdown. What was that like? And a year into the pandemic, how does it feel launching The Chosen and the Beautiful? Like, what's what's changed, I guess, in the marketing of it? Well, on a personal level, it's been sort of humbling and very strange to realize that my entire traditional publishing career has been during a time of national panic and pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea what it's going to be like having a career or hopefully having a career after that. I mostly joke with my editor and my agent that, you know, unfortunately, because I was not actually socialized with booksellers and fans at any point so far, I'm now feral. And, you know, it's like a barn cat. You know, I, 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 you can't have me in public. You can't touch me too much. She, she's supposed to sign books, but she's under the table. So, you know, that's, I mean, there's that feeling, of course. But it's been incredibly humbling with Empress, especially. One of the things I kept seeing over and over again was that because of both the size and the density, it helped people get out of reading slumps. And I have never heard a more flattering or more humbling thing in my life than the idea that something that I wrote and something that I do love and something that I do care about 
managed to help people get back to a love of reading, and that's been incredible. Chosen was actually finished on the last day of summer of 2019, actually. There were a lot of expectations for me, both, you know, because this was a book that my agent was very happy to have me write. It was a book that Tor was very happy to have me write. We had a lot of expectations about the world that Chosen might be coming out into, and that this is not that world. <laughs> so we're, we're all kind of making it up as we go along, and I think we're having a good time with it. And this summer ought to be very interesting to see how everything turns out. I have such, such high hopes for Chosen. So seeing that this is like the queer book wreck kind of themed podcast, I'm really excited to know a couple of things. What books did you read um, in your formative years that kind of inspired you when you were writing Chosen and the Beautiful and Empress? And is there anything really great, any great queer books that you've read recently that you would like to recommend to me? Oh, sure. Let's see. When it comes to formative books that eventually led me to becoming the terrible little monster that I am these days, Neil Gaiman, for example, is absolutely part of my literary DNA. Angela Carter, especially in her Wise Children mode or her Nights at the Circus mode, that's part of writers that sort of contribute to, to the way I write and the way I look at stories. Now, let's see. More recently, I've gotten into Neon Yang, who wrote The Black Tides of Fortune, yes. and I, yeah, which is fantastic. Elliot de Bedard, who last year released Fireheart Tiger, which I'm convinced is going to be a classic. That one's going to stick with people, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. And honestly, all of Elliot de Bedard's stuff, like The Dominion of the Fallen, which is just... That's the one that I keep trying to push people that like if you were talking like bullying our friends to read, that's the big one. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, look, there is so much gothic drama. It is just dripping with glamour and style and fallen angels and colonialism and and gender and sexuality. And I I don't know what else you would want. You know, I mean, what else do you want from me or, or from anyone? This is great. Just be here. Start here. You know, have you heard of The Hazards of Love by Stan Stanley? I haven't. Oh my God. So Stan Stanley is, she started out as, I believe, as a webcomic artist, and I've been following her stuff for the better part of my adult life. In recent years, she's started this webcomic called The Hazards of Love, which is about an NB teen from Queens who makes a sort of classical throw my life away kind of wish and really, really lives to regret it when, you know, a cat takes over their life. And they get sucked into this brilliant place called Bright Worlds, where humans are edible, and it's very beautiful and very frightening. I guess you could call it portal fantasy. I feel like it's a novel that really could only be written by a late millennial. You're standing on that separation of, you know, a sort of Gen Zers horror and millennial hope, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's magical. It's beautiful. It embraces so many people that look like the people I care about. And I've just... I see. I still see that. I mean, things are getting so much better, but that's still such a rare and wonderful thing to see. And I think Stan Stanley should get all the props for Hazards of Love. And I think about this, or have been thinking about this for the past few months, there's so much by way of queer literature now. And I don't know if I'm like making up the fact that like I just didn't have as many options, like even a decade ago it's like it's really wild that we can kind of like talk about and I'll say you know narrow down talk about queer SFF and I can bring somebody to an entire 
case of books that we have at the store and just be like here like pick out anything like every other book is doing like some amazing work by way of like genre fiction and queer fiction Mm-hmm. No, I remember when, you know, I was a teenager in the 90s, mm-hmm. and I remember standing in the aisles at Barnes & Noble, and I remember just, I wasn't even mad. I was thinking, huh, it seems like such a shame that the only narratives that Asian people or queer people can have are ones where we're grappling with our identity and trying to come to terms with it in, you know, mm-hmm. a modern setting. It's very, you know, moral of the week sort of deal. And no, it has come. It has come a really long way in the last twenty years, and it's been it's been incredible and wonderful and long overdue, frankly. But yeah, yeah, because you know, at one point, that kind of struggling with your identity and just like grappling with all these miserable feelings gets really old. Because really, the reality is that I mean, how long does that angst last? <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, we've, as a genre, we've progressed from like it being like our problem, and now we want to make it everyone else's problem. You know, now, now my my sexuality and my race, now it's your problem. Have a good time with that. (laughs) This is something that I really love about Empress is that something that I've been looking for for the past few years is just fantasy that's not Eurocentric. I can't tell you how tired I am of like the mystical land of this is England. This is Renaissance England, except for the fact where this is maybe Viking Norway, maybe? And yeah, yeah, I know that one. Mystical, scary, brown people come. Is is this Muslims? (laughs) It's like, it gets, it gets really tiring. And I love when they have, you know, East Asian people in and, you know, they're like the mystical and wise ones. Or, you know, if you get, if you get a little spicy, they're barbarians. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, or, yeah, or when you read Tolkien, it's like, I guess we're the Easterlings. (laughs) Am I an orc? Am I an Easterling? You, you you find that representation where you can, and then you just like you just kind of build out from there. Eurocentric fantasy novels, it gets really boring really quick. I think when I was in workshops, because I graduated with a degree in uh, creative writing, something that always just got under my skin is when professors or students would ask somebody who was not white or came from, you know, not a European culture to explain just every single non-Western detail. And not even just to explain it, but to defend it. Yeah. I mean, Empress, so great because you don't, go into like over explaining it at all i'm not from an east asian culture but i didn't need to be because your world is so fully realized you don't have to explain every single term that you've used or italicize non-english words that you've used at all so that i can like kind of clue myself in it's entirely unnecessarily and it's a trend that i've been seeing a lot in writers of color and I love it so much. I feel so vindicated as a reader, as someone who has to sit through these awful workshops where, you know, you would mention DACA and then they'd be like, well, you have to tell us where there is. I'm like, well, why can't you Google it? (laughs) Why, Why can't you Google it? Why can't you just understand? Hey, I put a word there. You kind of, you don't need to know exactly what's going on to get the whole book. Go back and Google later. But It's actually kind of interesting you bring that up because there's this book coming out that I'm incredibly excited for. It's called, uh, have you heard of it? It's called uh, When the Angels Left the Old Country by Sasha Lamb. Have you heard about this one yet? 
Oh, I have not, but I'm writing it down. Oh, no. I saw it like in early previews, I think on Tumblr about two years ago. Mm. And it's about this this devil and this angel who live, I believe, live in Eastern Europe. And they study the Torah together. They're Torah study partners. They hear America is where all the excitement is happening and people doing good and people doing evil. And they sort of start the immigration process in the, I think it's the late 1800s to get to the United States. Mm-hmm. And even the little bits I read gave me such immigrant feelings, such displacement feelings. When I read the book, there was a lot of material I didn't understand. It's very much into Jewish history. Mm-hmm. And what I was reflecting as I, you know, basically read it, read the bits even that I had available with uh, Wiki open mm-hmm. was what a privilege it was to sort of be offered this narrative that full of so many things that I had no experience with. Mm-hmm. And I felt very lucky. I, I felt very good to be trusted with a story like that. And, you know, that was something that made me think a lot. And I want I want more people to have that sort of energy towards books and material they might not be familiar with, which is oh my God, this is new to me. That's awesome. How, how do I find out more? And if I can encourage that, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. And oh, like, so, so great that you bring that up because people are so obsessed with seeing themselves and relating <laughs> to <laughs> relating to like every character in the book. And I'm not sure why that is so and I'm just going to keep bringing in my workshop experience but there's always that really just like weird insistence from from some people that they have to relate to like everything that they read that they have to relate to every protagonist that they read about and it's like but isn't the fun of reading like a lot of the fun of reading that you have maybe nothing in common with these people that you're finding out about like new things new cultures I think I remember that when I was like gosh like 12 years old and had just an attention span I loved (laughs) reading like these 600 page fantasy novels with five books in series and I loved it when I just kind of dived in kind of no explanation for the terms and you have to figure it out along the way. Right. And it was there's a pleasure of discovery there. A pleasure of discovery. It was so fun to do so. I love knowing terms. I loved having like this vast bank of knowledge to draw on when I was like blankly staring at the whiteboard at equations. And I mean it's the pleasure of like both a secret knowledge mm-hmm. and that wonderful moment when you find someone else who recognizes it too. Like suddenly, wait, you know who that is? You know who that character is? And you know, there's a pleasure of having it for yourself and the pleasure of sharing it, which I think is for me anyway, that was, that was mm-hmm. a big part of that. The cataloging mentality, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, absolutely. Uh, let's see. There is a really wonderful little collection of short stories that I'm reading. It's called Walking on cowrie shells and I'm not generally a short story person weirdly enough I find that my attention is isn't kept unless it's a novel Mm -hmm. but it's really I mean wonderful the writer I believe is Cameroonian Mm. and it's so great I'm not familiar with Cameroonian culture with the words in the languages that they speak and they don't italicize the non-English words. They don't go into explaining 
the non-English words. And you do that too in Empress where you don't really like explain. I think this is the third time I've mentioned what you do in Empress. <laughs> that one actually, the credit for that one absolutely should go to my editor, Rishi Chen. Mm-hmm. I had them italicized because that is the way that I grew up with. Yeah. You know, if it's a for, quote unquote foreign word, even if mm-hmm. it's a word that, you know, finds its usage in English, it should be italicized. And she brought up can we, is this, is this a thing you would like to do? And I said, yes, actually, I love that idea. Mm-hmm. I, from now on, I'm only going to use it to italics when I really have a lot of feelings. Yeah, really I mean, I think not italicizing a non-English word, it's such a statement of demystification of other cultures that this isn't, this isn't so obscure to us, even though it may be to you. And there's no need to other this word. Yeah, we're operating in spec fic and, you know, you can either get it from context or you can look it up because we live in the brave new world of, you know, Wikipedia. And that's wonderful. I think it's a very nice indication of how far we've come and Mm -hmm. the world we live in. Yeah, what have you Uh, been reading? Yeah, okay. Really glad you asked. Um, Not a very subtle... um, (laughs) I was like, oh, I hope she asked. No, no, I I am Um, very curious. (laughs) So I would love to recommend to you... She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan. Oh, that one's um, already on my list. I'm so looking forward to that one. Yeah. Hey, uh, bump it up. It's really good. <laughs> There's so much interesting gender stuff going on. I'm absolutely, I love it. It's like this great political novel takes place about the rise of the Ming Dynasty. And it's it's awesome. It's it's absolutely awesome like I'm so into it and I love the main character so much I don't know if you've read anything by Sarah Gailey oh I read I read the cowboy hippos river of teeth is a fave it if that concept doesn't get you it's such a good romp I'll read upright women wanted mm-hmm. it's about okay queer librarian radical outlaws yeah that's you know that's it those are i guess like the four keywords queer outlaw librarians they're radical they spread radical literature they're out in the desert they're great they can ride horses they can fire a gun it's absolutely kind of who i wish i was have you read finna actually finna and empress share book birthday Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I think that's my little list for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm really looking forward to a lot of those. She Who Became the Sun has been on my list for quite some time. And I can't wait for that. You really liked Finna too? I loved Finna. Oh my God. It was so much fun. <laughs> like the most, I mean, it changing portal fantasy. It's, it's so good. The anti-capitalism of it. I mean, they must have worked retail because <laughs> you don't you don't get that kind of mad if you don't work retail. I think no, you don't get that kind of just like visceral anger and pain that the main character is feeling at all times. And it looks like we are out of time. Me, oh, thank you so much mm-hmm. for conversing with me. Let's see, you can find me, Shulkana. On Twitter, Shulkana is my handle. Perks of having a unique name. And (laughs) also check out the bookstoremagic.net website to see my staff picks. You can find me on Twitter at Nevo Writing 
or you can find me at nevo.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend about Miss Shelved. To keep up to date with all of our bookish hijinks, follow us at Miss Shelved Pod on Twitter and Instagram. If you really like what happens here, and we hope you do, head over to our Patreon page to help fund this podcast and our Miss Shelved newsletter. Thank you for listening, and as always, happy reading. <laughs>